Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Got it. I got it. So usually we just hit record in progress and then we find a starting point. Yeah. Seth usually starts it right away. We'll see where he picks this one to go. <laughs> it's funny. Like oftentimes I'll listen back to an episode that we release and I'll be like, oh, this first like eight minutes, I thought this would be cut. Like we're just chatting. You know? just like, sense. What are they talking about? <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. I love that Seth does that. It just makes it real. Um, <laughs> vulnerable, like real sincere, you know? I do want to see your t-shirt though, man. Yeah. It's a, a grateful dead. Yeah. It's a steely from, it's a steely. It's a remake. It, well, it's, I bought it on a lot a while ago. That's so cool. Yeah. It's a, it was a shirt from the nineties. Anyway, I'm a, <laughs> I love it. It's one of my personal, you know, we, we contain multitudes, right? And Dude, deadhead, you, you, deadhead is one of my, one of my person personas that I identify with one of the communities I identify with. You know? I mean, you can, you can quote Walt Whitman to me all night long and I'll, I'll join you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember that one of the, my favorite moments of Mormons on mushrooms uh, episodes past is when Doug was like, I get the grateful dead now. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah. That was literally a literally laugh out loud moment. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. Thank you, mushrooms. I yeah, <laughs> thank you, mushrooms. I I vividly remember that trip, just like plowing through those albums. Like, oh shit, I totally get it. It's like, totally get it, it. This, yeah. Was that on mushies or LSD? That was on mushrooms. Mushrooms. Yeah. Grateful Dead's more known for LSD though. Like, really? like, well, you know, there's like, you know, wine pairings with food. Yeah. There's band pairings with different substances and Grateful Dead and, you know, Great, LSD. Grateful Dead and LSD. Like what else, what else do you need? I'm just thinking I can do a lot more LSD, man. I don't think I've, I don't think I've fried my brain on LSD nearly enough. Like <laughs> I just haven't done it that much is what I mean. You know, like, yeah. um, I mean, I think I've said on here before, it, I, I, I kind of, I go back and forth, but I feel like LSD is like my jam, you know, I, I feel like that's the one I, I just kind of, I can really groove to the, the, the most, you know, mushrooms sometimes going deep and stuff like that. I'm just like, man, I'm just, just sitting here going deep, but with LSD, it's like, let's get in a clear. Yeah. 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 I never see the carnival feminine on LSD, by the way. Never haven't seen her yet on the, you know, the carnival feminine I talk about. Yeah. I haven't seen her on LSD yet. So <laughs> by the way, sorry, this is a tangent here, but like, I kind of got to some of the bottom of that carnival feminine today with my therapist, but that's going to be, that's a future episode. That's still like in the therapeutic container. Oh shoot, dude. But maybe really? I'll share about it. That's like a little teaser. So that was a teaser. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, David. So I, I ran into the, I ran into the feminine on a trip. Ooh, maybe we start there. And then let's see. I'm in the process of painting. Oh, wow. Holy shit. 
a dark feminine. It's not a complete thing yet. Did you meet her on a trip? Yeah, that was my last one. Oh. My last, not my last trip, but my last big trip. Oh, can you kind of uh, describe this a little bit for us and walk? Well, us it's through? it's Kali. Yeah, uh, it's inspired by Kali, but then I got like kind of self conscious about cultural appropriation, so I went the Euro- I pulled in a bunch of European dark feminine iconography to kind of make it a little bit more European, but it's Kali, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the the idea of those of Kali is like slaying the, those skulls are different identity, like different egos. Oh, wow. That one has, I mean, it's ego death is what it is. Wow. Would we be able, would you be, could we post this on the show notes or anything or Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I thought about, I thought, well, this is, well, it's not quite flagged. I don't know. What is it? It's finished. It's finished. I don't know. I haven't worked on it for a while. So. I think it's so cool. But it's interesting. I, I like go on these journeys, and here's the other one that I came up with from that trip. This is oh, um, I love that. It, it might be washed out. This 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 skeleton sitting in lotus pose, mm. and this was very vivid. It was like burning away the Maya. Maya being the illusion, mm. right? And you could wow. just nothing left but you know pure consciousness mm-hmm. after all the illusion is gone. And that was in the middle of my last, not the last time I trip, but the last major trip that I do. I love the way you paint, man. Same. And actually, you know, oh, go ahead. Well, it's, I don't know. It's been something I've picked up since finding this path, really kind of an expression. Well, so you got a big old story to tell David, like, will you, will you kind of, like, I don't know where we start. We start in the middle maybe, or start now at the end, start at your last trip. But like you are an artist, a psychonaut, a Kundalini yoga uh, instructor and everything in between. So, I mean, I, I was, I was really, you and I met and had lunch together yeah. and I was really drawn to just the, the power of your story. You, you've, you've, you've gone uh, through hell and back it sounded like, you know, when we were talking. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> I'm from, it's interesting because I, as soon as the podcast years, I heard your podcast, like I knew immediately Doug, where you're from. Like you sound you can like tell from my, I, my accent, oh, yeah, your accent. <laughs> like we're from the same part of the world. I'm from Idaho, yeah. but I was, I'm a little bit older than y'all. I'm almost 40. I'll be 48 in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I was raised in the church and, um, all my family are still TBMs. I got a nephew who's kind of finding his way out of the church. I got some cousins who are out of the church, but other than that, it's like everybody in my family is TBM. Right. Um, and I went on a, you know, I, I kind of thought like, I kind of started to get, well, on the most recent trip I had was this, um, uh, the, the message that I got was, I just kept the kept thinking, kept, kept hearing loud and clear. Like if you want to heal, you got to figure out how the body keeps the score and how your body keeps the score mm-hmm. and knowing that book of that title. And I'm like, I don't need to read another book. Um, but my partner, she gave it to me for Christmas and I've been reading, I read it and it's excellent. It's about trauma and how we hold trauma. It's a little, it's a little dense in places as far as, you know, a uh, little, little, Scientific in places, I should say. Yeah, it gets kind of long, but there are, you can, I mean, it's made for practitioners. So if you get the book, you can like skip chapters if you, you know, if. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
I identified with it. Like I, I saw my, as it was just not, not like, I mean, it's mainly for, it's talking about like mostly like really like um, serious PTSD, like from really major, that's kind of the, the, the impetus, right. Of this person's of vessel. What's his name? Vander Kolk's, you know, work is to work with these people that have like people who have been to war, right. Or have some serious, serious childhood traumas. Right. And I don't have that. And one thing that about the most recent episode that Jake was talking about when he was talking about, like, he identifies with all this, like, like trauma stuff, but he's like, but my parents were great. Yeah. And I feel the same way. My parents were great. They did the best job they could in the system that they knew and they loved me and they showed love, but it was Mormonism. Right. Yeah. And so it's this same trauma. It's interesting to hear Mormonism as an abusive parent, right? Because, um, and for those who haven't listened to that episode, Jake talks about how uh, a lot of Mormons or ex-Mormons will have uh, what's called a disorganized attachment disorder, which is actually pretty rare. Yeah. But when I I read a book recently about attachment disorders and I was like, oh, this is mine. Yeah. But then same, same thing. I was like, but I didn't, I didn't, it's, it says you have that when, you have a caregiver that, that, uh, that you need, but also fear. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking, I didn't fear my mom. I didn't fear my dad more than, yeah. you know, my parents are great, but I did fear God. Yeah. I had, I knew I needed God and I, I was scared the hell out of, out of God. And yeah. I don't know if everyone has that experience, but that, that was my experience of it. Yeah. And I, I feel very much the same way. Even the term heavily father to me is kind of triggering. Same. Yeah in a weird way. And I think it's, there was a statement in the book, uh, body keeps the score. It was, um, I think it was talking about it a little bit about, uh, how one deals with, um, mistreatment as an adult and, uh, normal with a person with a healthy upbringing, you know, you're praised by every, you know, you're praised and you're made to feel like you're the greatest thing in the world. Then when something bad happens to you and someone mistreats you, you're, you know, you're offended by that. And you stand up for yourself. Um, and then the next sentence talked about people who live, grow up in purity culture, they don't respond that way at all. Because even though they might be getting messages of, and this is kind of how I looked at it. Like I was getting messages of um, you're the greatest, you know, you're a child of God, this and that and the other. But there was also this undercurrent of like this biological being that I am that's, you know, a sexual being that, you know, as a teenager started masturbating completely psychologically undercuts that. And so you're left when something bad happens to you, when someone mistreats you, there's something deep down inside that says, I deserve that. And so I kind of looked as I've read this book and kind of thought back about my past, you know, and, and thought about how it may have manifest later on is like, I started realizing where the schism happens in my life. And it was like early adolescence, right. When that kind of came online, as far as like, you know, maturing into an adult human and being, um, well, masturbating. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I mean, honestly, like, like 90% of the, of the, uh, like sins of the flesh that we talk about as like growing up Mormon it's not like we're out like going on a three state killing spree or, uh, you know, serial rapist or, or, or even, or, or even sex. We're yeah. talking about teenage boys jerking off yeah. uh, you know, and, and teenage girls flicking their bean or whatever, you know, or, or, and a little bit later on necking and petting. 
Neck, yeah, heavy. For the parlance yeah, of our time growing up, like that, those terms like are triggering to me because it reminds yeah. me of like the awkward feeling of like being, you know, preached at in church and not wanting to make eye contact with anyone. Yeah, you know, the most awkward concept. Well, and the thing about the masturbation thing too is not just like you know getting to like flicking your bean or or uh, jerking off. It's the fact that like uh, I was. <laughs> scared of touching my body yeah, almost anywhere because it could lead to that. Right. Yeah. It's like cutting, cutting it off early. And so it's like touching my legs or my thigh or my stomach or just feeling my body feeling embodied. That's out of the question. Cause as soon as I did, the moment I did, it's like, Oh, well now I feel like masturbating. So, but, but if <laughs> masturbating was on the table, I wouldn't always feel like that every time I touched my body. Imagine that, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I like, like, I don't know. I think how much, how much time, how much, how much, how much mental energy did you expend, tr- you know, trying to go to sleep and not being able to go to sleep, you know, oh, growing yeah. up, trying to avoid all that. And then later on too. So my, my, I kind of diverged from my, I started mentally diverging from church started not being fun in you know, adolescence and it continued to kind of not be fun, but I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Um, and I end up just like a lot of us, um, I went on a mission, right. And that whole, that was kind of the beginning of, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go, but I couldn't tell anybody I didn't want to go, but I didn't really want to go. And so I, but I went and, and, um, you know, that was a whole, um, I don't know, like I, I listen to people talk about their mission experiences and I wonder I, I don't, my, my, I, my experiences weren't, I don't know. I went to Australia and Australia is a hard place to be a missionary. Like you'd be, if you got one, I had one baptism of a grandkid of a member of a member who, you know, 12 year old kid, we gave him missionary discussions and baptized him. And there were some, uh, foreign, uh, you know, uh, non-English speaking missionary, you know, we had Chinese missionaries speaking and Vietnamese missionaries, speaking missionaries and Spanish speaking missionaries there that baptized a little bit more than once or twice the mission, but that was on average. That's it. Yeah. Like just, and, and I've kind of looked to see how the church has grown, even though they put more temples out in Australia than they had. They had one temple there when I was there 25, 20, almost 30 years ago. Um, the, the, it seems to have contracted, like there's fewer stakes, fewer rewards than there were then. And so it's not as though it's gotten easier for people going to Australia. So it's just a really difficult mission. And what I found is most missionaries didn't really want to be there. You know, that's, that's interesting that you, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but it's a, it's a pretty predominant thing. Like you, you mentioned, David, the, the thing of like, you didn't want to go on a mission. You couldn't tell anybody you didn't want to go on a mission. Therefore you just went on a mission because it was like, Oh God, I, I guess this is, the thing I've got to do, it's like military service. It, yeah. It's this, it's this really weird thing. We expect yeah. 18 and 19 and 20 year old kids to be these grownups, like j- just to immediately be grownups. And I think that's a pretty common, whether it's, whether it's didn't want to, or maybe like me, I, I feared going on a mission, didn't want to yeah. go somewhere foreign, didn't want to have to learn a new language, didn't want to have to eat weird food. And then I ended up going to fucking Taiwan. <laughs> so that didn't really yeah. work out for me. But it's this thing of like, if you don't feel safe to say to your closest friends, your family members, 
I, I am afraid of going on this mission. I don't know that I want to do it. I'm 18 years old mm-hmm. and I'm not safe enough to say that to someone. There is a, there is a culture of peer pressure, mean, not even peer pressure, just, just overt obligation and pressure to do a thing that you don't know that you even want to do. Like I really wanted to go to college, you know, that's a thing yeah. I really wanted to do. I really wanted to go on a mission. Like, throughout my life. I was the type that, I mean, at least consciously, I felt like I did, but what I couldn't do is then when I started feeling really depressed and anxious, I didn't feel like I could say, Whoa, 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 pause. I'm going to, I'm going to try to figure this out before I go. Yeah. It felt like I was strapped to a roller coaster and it's like, I know I want to be on this roller coaster, but I don't feel ready. But like, I can't jump off it. And then, you know, then it just delays everything. Then I'm like, all my friends are out now. And then if I wait, then, then they're home. And then everyone wonders why I, I waited. And You're wearing your Scarlet A, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So Mike, you meant it when you sang, I hope they call me on a mission. You were like, yeah, David, I can't wait. Like when I oh. would sing that song, I would get like, I would start thinking about older kids. I knew that went on missions and I'd just be like, sounds like a nightmare. It, it looks awful. <laughs> like it, I don't want to do it, but I couldn't, couldn't even express that. I remember the moment, the first night in the MTC, why I was on the top bunk and I don't, the the curtains were orange. It was orange light coming in from the outside. And I remember thinking, what have I done? Like I'm in this thing, I'm trapped in this thing. And, you know, I, I, again, like with the whole idea of trauma, like I don't, I, you know, I've never, I wasn't abused as a kid, like, you know, physically or sexually abused, but or, you know, and I've never experienced war. So, you know, small T trauma versus big T trauma, but the idea of feeling trapped, emotionally trapped and silenced, like you can't say that you having any, you know, you don't want to go, um, was I think what really caused a lot of this stuff to manifest. So I, and again, it's like a push and pull. I'm going to Australia. Like that's the coolest thing in the world. Right. But at the same time, I didn't really want to be a missionary. So when I got out there, I, I, I uh, you know, it was a roller coaster and I went anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression. And, and some months were good and some months were bad and, you know, really, really difficult. Um, some companions, we worked hard. A lot of companions, we didn't work hard. You know, the unspoken thing that you won't hear people talk about, like, you know, having, you know, not being a good missionary. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, I don't know, like I, I, everybody tells their mission story, but you don't want to talk about the the times that you broke the rules or whatever. Yeah. And kind of my, my thing too, I was always the kid who growing up, like I, I pushed the envelope as far as like, like I was the kid who like, if my friends were going to, you know, dare each other to do something crazy, I, so I was the kid who would do stuff, right? I would, I was, I would, I would, I would do stuff before my friends or peers could like give me a hard time about it. I think it was a defense mechanism to avoid being bullied. So I was not scared to do stuff. Like what kind but, of, so no, what, what kind of stuff are we talking about here? Can you get well, into that or is there still like legal investigations going on? <laughs> no, I'm talking about like driving fast or, you oh. know, jumping off, you know, high cliffs into the reservoir or blowing stuff up or, you know, just doing kind of crazy stuff, getting in fights occasionally. Yeah. Um, not any, 
no, 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 no laws were really, well, no major laws were broken and no, no real church violations were, you know, no <laughs> serious sins were committed, but, but I was always, I wasn't afraid of doing things. So I ended up with some companions who were kind of wild. And the first, I don't know if I should, I guess this is the place to say it if I'm going to say it. So the first place I time I ever smoked marijuana was on my mission. What? <laughs> Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm not. <laughs> so, so yeah. And it was after a series of like good companions, bad companions, good companions, bad companions. And then they just stuck me with this person who he didn't want to be there. And it was much like, uh, he was from Australia and he was, I think he was given an ultimatum by his family. Like you can go on a mission or we're not going to pay for your, we're going to stop paying for your trust fund or whatever. And so he like ended up going on a mission and somehow he got a hold of some weed and we ended up smoking it one time. Um, and then how was it? How was it on your mission? I didn't, the thing is, is I don't remember being high at all. I mean, I have the experience later on and you know, First time you ever get really get high, but yeah, I feel like the first time you really don't, do you? No, yeah. no. I remember being so excited the first time, and I'd actually uh, went on a work trip in Brazil, and while I was there, I was talking to my mate, and we were like, she she had gotten her card when I was out in Brazil, yeah. and got home so excited to try it, and yeah, I was like, I don't feel anything. Second time I did though, second, second time, time yeah, magic. <laughs> Anyway, so like, and at one point in time, I like begged my parents to let me come home and they said, no, and you know, you'll ruin your life, this and that and the other. And so I'm like, all right, I'm trapped in this thing. I guess I'm going to have to do the two years. And, you know, there were some good times that, you know, it's good, really good times. Like, and I, I really value my experience on a mission because it really helped me see there's other people in the world that aren't like us, aren't like Mormons also aren't like Americans that, and especially Australia, because Australia kind of has, it's a very, it's a modern country, just like America, but they just do stuff differently. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, this is a, just as valid a way to live your life as anywhere else. What's so great about America? So it kind of killed my patriotism a little bit. Same. That I don't Same. like America, but it's like, I don't see it near like I did before. Man, I was, I was the biggest Patriot before I went on my mission, like right wings, like flag flying, crying at like the, uh, (laughs) those songs. It's like, I'm proud to be an American, you know, gladly stand. Oh, I I gladly sit up every fucking time, man. (laughs) Like I'm for my mission. And then it was like, yeah, just, I just lost all of it. (laughs) Same. And I think seeing the politics play out in the mission experience with APs and because, you know, in my experience, most, I don't know, like I, I didn't really think that people, I, I saw through a lot of the, I saw people who would say whatever they needed to say to get a, to appease leadership and to move up into positions of, you know, zone leader, or whatever that I started to just kind of dislike the whole priesthood organization and kind of how people interacted with each other. So when I got back, well, one, what, stop just for a second there. Cause I want to make one comment on what you said. Cause I think obviously you're talking about going to Australia. You don't baptize anyone. I mean, by the way, a 12 year old or whatever you were saying yeah. totally counts. Count that. Right? Count it. Yeah. Count it. <laughs> count, it. count it. Convert. <laughs> um, but it's obviously, you know, the, the goal of the mission becomes like, it's not about converting. It's about converting the missionary, right? Sure. And, and, oh, or absolutely. even indoctrinating the missionary. 
Yeah. But what often happens, I mean, the mission was the, uh, the beginning of my faith crisis. Yeah, me too. So it's interesting how it can happen the other way. Like, you know, I think there's an element of like going out into the world and finding rejection and then coming back home and finding love and acceptance back in your tribe. Like, Oh, I'm back home and that the the world's evil and my home is safe that the mission can reinforce or can go out and sit, you can go out and be like, Oh no, the world's a beautiful, beautiful, amazing place Uh with like all sorts of diversity and cool people. And yeah. And it can just open your eyes to that. So it's kind of interesting in that way. I mean, that's certainly what happened to me. I, I, when I came back, I would have said like, the church is true. I would have said the church is true because I hadn't really deconstructed it, but I was really dissatisfied with it. Um, and so, and I never really socialized really seriously into any sort of singles word situation. Met my first person who would become my first wife and she was socialized in the church um, in high school. So she, she didn't really, she, she joined the church in, the, in high school, but she didn't, I mean, she has her own story, but. So, but she didn't really have a strong sort of testimony, but we let's talk about her story. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) She came from a former Mormon family. Her family was Mormon, but had left the church a couple generations previously. And so she was, she in Idaho, she was living in a small town and all her friends were Mormon. And so, you know, that sort of thing. We wanted to get married and, or, you know, because as will happen, um, I don't know if I should tell more of my story here too. So we ended up, um, we ended up, uh, breaking the law of chastity as such. Yeah. Um, and yeah. as in my head, yeah, that heavy, that heavy petting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In my head, it was like, she has to be the one true person. Mm. It has to, I have to, it has to work out. There's the only way I could balance the whole morality of the church with the fact that this thing was happening and I'm still a good person that likes, you know, myself or whatever. And so we got to get married. Right. And so we, I, you know, proposed, she said yes, and we were going to get married. Um, But then I told my family we're going to get married without saying we're not getting married in the temple. And they just, you know, shit hit the fan. Right. Cause they're like, you have to get married in the temple. Not that, you know, and I obviously didn't tell them that, I broke the law of chastity or whatever, all these euphemisms or whatever. Uh, I'm um, going to stop. Sorry. I keep stopping you. But I, I want to stop you here because I want to bring you back to something you said at the beginning where you were kind of talking about the, the body keeps the score yeah, and how you haven't had much trauma or whatever. And you're just talking about how you're forced <laughs> to go on a mission that the, you're talking about the, the masturbation, the body shame forced to go on a mission. And then the, the walk of shame, the shame of, uh, fucking before you get married, you know, being a human before you get married. That's, I mean, those are all traumatic events. Uh Yeah. And then, and and then having to retcon it basically. Right. So you, 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 exactly. You, you have some kind of like physical inner, you know, interaction, whether it's sex or heavy petting or whatever. And then it's like, okay, well I can now, I can now retcon this into like the justification sphere if i just say okay well she's the one true soulmate love of my life i'm gonna marry her and that that's trauma man that's we're talking about this that's especially especially when we're talking about we talk about the beginning about fearing that god yeah yeah that you have that narcissistic god 
who that's your father figure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That ties in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what happened. Um, I like the, I like the, I like the term retcon because that's exactly what I did in my head. Right. And it's like, all right, now we, we go to the, and, and I, 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 my parents took, put a, put a campaign on me to, to get married in the temple, which means I put a campaign on her to get married uh-huh. in the temple. Now she's the only member in her family and she didn't want to get married in the temple because, you know, her family can't be to, to the wedding. But after, you know, the pressure campaign worked and then we got, we met with a bishop, not even either of our bishops, but this other bishops in a singles ward. And he worked with us to, you know, the year, you know, close to a year went by. Um, And then, you know, we set the date and everything. And we didn't, it was never even talked about with my family, whether or not we were worthy. It was always implied and you never talked about stuff like that. Right. So that's what happened. We get married in the temple and promptly go inactive. Yeah. Like that was the last moment I really, that year of trying to hold it together before the marriage and, and we promptly went inactive. And here's where my story makes me disqualify. I don't know if it disqualifies me from, you never hear these stories on Mormon stories. Um, I was like, I will never be on Mormon stories because I totally fit the cliche of what Mormons tell is going to happen if you leave the church. I start drinking and I become an alcoholic. Within yeah. two years, I am drinking alcoholically. Um, maybe, and, maybe, David, maybe you could uh, talk a little bit more about um, what, what, uh, so what this I mean is by the, that? <laughs> what you mean by that? Because, because you know, the, the, the Mormon family and friends that, yeah. uh, were convinced that if you fell away from the church, you would become an alcoholic Yeah. to them. That means occasionally have a sip of beer. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're, like, that's what alcoholism looks like. Look at Mike. He's an alcoholic. He just had a sip of beer. Yeah. You know, but they were talking about a real, uh, lots of sips. You've time. had 10 sips, man. I mean, I lots of, I've just finished one. I'm going to go for two. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, let's do this, man. I'll go grab one soon. I, but, but I would love to hear more about the actual, whether, whether we, I mean, disease or the affliction of alcoholism. So I think, I think the best way to do that is talk about numbers of, 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 of how people drink on average. And, and it varies from culture to culture, but basically in the United States, it looks like this one in 10 people, one in 10 people, one in 10 Americans don't drink at all for whatever reason. Then like four in 10 Americans will have a drink on occasion, like maybe once every couple months. So that gets to half of the population. And then you have like two to 3% of the population drinks weekly, but they have a beer or two. And then you, so that gets you to eight. And then you have the, the a, a portion of the population who drinks fairly regularly, like two or three drinks every few days, but, and it may, you know, it's gray, whether or not that's a problem, you know, and it, they basically have it together. And then you have the last 10% of the population that basically drinks to intoxication every single day. Like wow. we're talking like double digit drinks. And I had a talking to my friend a couple last week when we were talking about this. And he's like, well, how much did you drink? And I'm like, I don't know, like three quarters of a fifth of liquor a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, 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 like that, or a case of beer like that. That's an alcohol. Yeah. That's not social casual drinking. That's like, that's like, going hard every single day to maintain something right to to yeah exactly and so you get to a point it's 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 painful 
you don't know how to stop. And here's the interesting thing that happened to me because probably the Mormonism and going back to the masturbation thing, right? All that stuff was hid. Like I never once admitted to a bishop that I masturbated ever, ever. That's that, that, that's a that's a that's a that's a tough scene, man. I, good, good God bless, because that is a tough scene. So you learn to you learn to hide your behavior. Yeah. And then suddenly you, you, and it's, I was in college too, where at first everybody's drinking hard. Right. And at first it's like, Oh, we just drink on the weekends. Then it's like, Oh, we start on Thursdays. Oh. And maybe, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're drinking all the time. And then you, and then, then, then it becomes as an individual, you're like, well, I really, it's Tuesday and I could really use a drink. Yeah. Right. And then slowly and surely. And so I ended up hiding that behavior from my first ex-wife which we, and we got married young. And so, and there's lots of reasons why we, and, you know, she's a really great person to have in my life at the time. Cause she was an emotional support when I left the church, but by the time three or four years went by, we're in our mid twenties, we have different interests. We're totally into different things. And, and plus I have this other thing that I'm, you know, drinking a lot more and hiding it from her, which it was, you know, emotional like they would we were just distant we became roommates really and so i just i i I became that within two or three years of going inactive at first and i deconstructed to some extent you know i i I read a lot about the church you know all the history stuff and everything but i i didn't really i deconstructed to the point where i didn't i could say that um i I think i still believe in god and, and after like Life really makes sense, but I'm not sure of anything beyond that. But mainly I just drank all the time and partied all the time with others when it was appropriate and by myself when it wasn't. Well, and Doug brought up a point, you know, we were talking about you were, you were becoming the, um, or you brought up David, that you became the, um, the, the thing that you feared you would in a way, right. Or that, that poster child for ex-Mormonism on the other way of like, Oh yeah. He fell away and became alcoholic. He's now in a ditch or whatever. Yeah. The story yeah. rings true. Yeah. Um, but not to keep referencing the last episode, but Jake made a, a point there that like addiction is a result of yeah. trauma. Yeah. You didn't become an alcoholic because you left the church. Yeah. Those seeds were planted well before might even be ancestral might even be a lot within the church or it, but those were planted well, well before. And so, um, Yeah, that's all I wanted to point out there. That reminds me of something that's often said in AA about like alcoholism is but a symptom Mm -hmm. of of, uh, it's but a symptom of a larger problem. So I I ended up I ended up moving to um, well, my marriage blew up and I finished school and I ended up um, doing what we call in recovery. It's called a geographic, which is you move to a new location with hopes of getting your shit together. So I moved to Texas, started a graduate program and um, was sober for a while. I even tried to get plugged into the church in Texas a little bit, um, but I just didn't like I I went for a few times and I I could just like it made me nuts because I had all these like like these people aren't asking any of the hard questions like, you know, in Sunday school or whatever. And, and I just. I didn't gel with anybody. I didn't, they weren't friendly people to me and I didn't feel like I belonged. And so, yeah, I, I, I didn't really 
I mean, it was only like two or three times and it was mainly because I, you know, I needed some connection to something, right. Cause I was basically moved to Texas all by myself. Um, and so, uh, after I kind of got my feet under me and figured out the landscape and stuff, I promptly started drinking again. So, um, went right back to it. And, um, eventually I met my, um, my first marriage fell apart. Eventually I met my second, uh, who would become my second ex-wife. Um, uh, but we met and she, she's an interesting person. She has her own story. Um, she's a born again Christian. Oh shit. And she really liked me. Uh, she really liked me. And um, over the course of, and, and when I met first, when I first met her, like something about it, I, I, I was able to kind of keep the drinking under control or like at least not drink all the time. So, uh, and we, we hit it off, really liked each other. And, um, I started to, I, I explored, I, I revisited all the Mormonism. I deconstructed, I fully deconstructed everything, but from a Christian perspective. So I got really, in, that's, I got reinterested, reintroduced to a lot of the ex Mormon world, like, um, you know, Sean McCraney. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was really into him and his stuff because he's a you know ex Mormon Christian guy, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, some of the other, a little bit of the other ex Mormon stuff. But I, I and I eventually, you know, did the whole Christian thing, like gave myself over to Jesus and became a Christian. And we'd go to you know we were active in Christian churches. Uh, well, here and there we not at first, but a little bit later after we got married, we got active in Christian churches. And, and, um, I, uh, it, it, you know, I, the drinking kind of crept back in slowly and it got to a point where like around 2010, um, I was starting to hide it again and drink behind my second ex-wife's back, you know, height. And, uh, she, confronted me and for the first time in my life after 15 or so years of drinking i said the words i think i am an alcoholic wow even though years before i like started looking into it to see maybe i had a problem but i said those words and over the course of the next year um went to rehab uh got plugged into aa had several relapses uh but eventually quit drinking my last time i drank was um the 24th of September, 2010. Wow, man. So 12 Congrats. years. Holy shit. Congrats on that. Yeah. And it, it was one of those, you know, a lot of the whole, the whole Christianity thing for me was really a redemption story kind of thing. I, I was able to reclaim the, a life. My parents were pretty important in helping me get sober. Uh, they they actually partially my my insurance covered some of the rehab, but they covered the, a lot of the rest of the rehab because mm. uh, to help us out there. And they were just at that point in time, I I I'd alienated myself from my family, but I worked pretty hard to try to you know build a relationship after the fact. When I was still in Idaho, I was pretty alienated from my family, but when I moved to Texas, I. I've worked to try to have a relationship with my family. Um, yeah. So did you um, like, would you consider yourself uh, like Orthodox AA? I mean, cause LSD. Or, so there's the, there's, therein lies the rub, right? So I consider, I consider myself California sober. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and really I'm not as well, I've kind of gone back and forth with AA the first several years I was really plugged into it. Right. It was necessary. And I kept holding on to the Jesus handlebars, right? Try to stay sober. Um, uh, and 
you're right though. Like there, there are people that are, um, some people are a little bit more open-minded, but a lot of people in AA are like no substances besides coffee and cigarettes. Right. You can have coffee and cigarettes. (laughs) Orthodox. Cause the dude, like one of the two dudes that founded AA believe Uh like LSD was part of the system at first. Right. That was a not, well, here's, here's the thing. So if you read the story of, uh, uh, Bill Wilson, um, and his actual experience he was given belladonna in a hospital oh okay. which is a plant i mean that's a psychotropic plant that causes tripping it's a hard trip it's a it's a not a fun trip but it trip you trip on it and it was a, a complete awakening i mean it was a complete conscious expanding awakening where he realized he didn't have to drink anymore and it, the whole thought of the whole higher power thing and developed AA. And then later in the 1950s, um, before LSD had its whole heyday, right, it, it was prominent. People thought it'd be a really good drug to use for addiction. And there was the start of a movement towards that before the 1960s. And he thought, Bill Wilson, before he died, he thought LSD would be really good. It, it, it's the kind of a wonder drug. He tripped and went on some, you know, experiences with it and he promoted it. But the board, the national, it was a bigger organization board that was more in charge put a stop they're like we we're not going to go here yeah. we're happy with where things are at higher power the whole you know 12 steps and all that um we're happy with with that so so that's kind of where it ended uh as far as as far as that so most people in a probably would would tow a pretty you know they wouldn't accept california sobriety as being a thing right and and that's probably in the last I don't know, seven or eight years um, has kind of kept me from being more involved with AA simply because I don't like, I don't sponsor anybody. I go to meetings occasionally just to kind of keep myself grounded, but I don't, I don't, I'm not plugged into it Mm -hmm. simply because I, I do smoke weed sometimes. Right. And I do some other things and I don't, I, I, I understand it as an addiction as, 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 as not, I understand these things as not, as me not being addicted to them. Right. I know what it's like to try to maintain a altered state to, to tamp down your feelings. Cause I think that's what I did a lot of years with the drinking. It was like trying to stuff down all the fear, the sadness, the pain, the anger, all those negative emotions that came with leaving church and leaving, you know, being feeling alienated from my family and my culture and all that. I just drowned it and tamped it down for a long time. Well, you talk about, you talking about earlier, the amount of energy it takes to repress. Um, yeah. And it's a lot of energy, man. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. But like, um, so timeline here. So this was like 10 years ago. You did that. And then. Um, 12 years ago. And then yeah, my, my ex and I, we moved here to Austin. Uh, and we kind of, well, I don't know, long story short, based on my job, I, I started to be exposed to more, um, I started to broaden my views. Um, sorry, I'm trying not to be specific about my, <laughs> my job. Um, well, had you done plant med- I mean, you had you done plant medicine? I hadn't. See, the thing about it is, it's like I've I tried a lot of different stuff, right? You had weed, I guess, in Australia, yes. but then okay. So during this time, you'd had different stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I've had experience with other stuff too. So, so, but I had never I had never done any sort of like psychedelics until mm. 
several years after moving here. So, um, were psychedelics any factor in, I guess, uh, they're like becoming sober. No, they were not. They were not alcohol, not alcohol. So, um, I, you know, it had more to do with, well, this, that's always interesting to me because, because later on I, I started to deconstruct my Christianity. Um, I started to read a lot and, and, um, I ended up deconstructing the whole Christian thing. And interestingly enough, it's, it was easier to do than the Mormonism. Like it came, na- it came naturally because I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah that makes and sense. so what it eventually happened though, is my, the, the marriage, my second marriage was, I don't know, without getting into too much detail, cause she has her story too. Um, that was not a healthy relationship either. And so that kind of, that ended about seven a year or so years ago. And I went through a process of, I went to some therapy. I went through the AA steps really in detail with a sponsor um, for really the first time and, and had a kind of a complete sort of like realization that I didn't really believe in God, or I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I was praying to anything that was actually out there. And so I, I kind of, he, my, my, my AA sponsor, he calls himself, uh, uh, he calls himself a free throat, a free floating deist, Mm. which means that he will point people in the direction that they need and utilize whatever paths they people need. He's like, some people need the blood of Jesus to keep them sober, but other people don't need that. And so he pointed me to the Tao Te Ching. And he's like, I think this would be really useful for you because I kind of had deconstructed the Christianity. My second marriage had fell apart. And so there was, you know, I landed on my feet and I had kind of hit this point where I was pretty prepared for this, like, you know, all the surrender stuff with AA and plus the Tao stuff is like, you know, it's kind of surrender to the universe sort of stuff. So it wasn't until like a couple years after that that um i met my 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 partner my life partner now we're not married we're not married because she doesn't want to be wife number three (laughs) so she's just doing preemptive stuff here she's just she doesn't want to hear a podcast years from now and and hear about ex-wife number three is that what's going on exactly all right she's smart she knows what she's doing we have a really good relationship she's great for me but she i mean as part of that it was only a little bit later that i got introduced to psychedelics So, I mean, and I was really super prepared for it too, because I like, I had been introduced to yoga by that time and it had been introduced to like, well, the whole idea of uh, the whole idea of surrender to the universe is surrender to the higher power. And it doesn't have to be a higher power and G O D can stand for a group of drunks. <laughs> right? Like that's what you hear stuff like that in AA, right? Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't have to, so it's a higher power of your own understanding. It's not necessarily a higher power of, and some people need it to be the blood of Jesus. Like I've deconstructed that whole thing and you can't put it back together. So what am I left? He's like, here, read the Tao. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought this up too. Cause like, I'm, and I want to hit on this because those images are really important, you know? And I think I, I'm looking at it from a different perspective now, like in Mormonism, we're like, well, what's true. And what does that even mean? You know, we're just taught like, well, this book Mormon true is the Mormon God true. I mean, it feels true for a lot of people. If that, if that image resonates with you, if you really love a narcissistic God, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
or Jesus, you know, I mean, people have incredible transformations through that image of Jesus. Um, and then sometimes it just doesn't work for people. And so, yeah, I think we're so good. And I, especially in ex Mormon culture, we're so good at tearing down our symbols uh, not just ex-Mormon, rationalist America, yeah. right? Yeah. And we we hold up science and rationalism and materialism as our new gods. And th- those become our God images. And that's a problematic God, God image as well. Look what we're doing to the earth, the environment. Yeah. Look, look what we're doing in America, you know, and the, and the 24-7 constant like whirlwind we're in here. I mean, that's what happens when we, we make materialism our God. Yeah. And so there's something really... I think insightful about what, uh, what, what did you call him? The guy you were working with or he calls himself a free, a free floating deist. Yeah. Kind of like helping people find the image that resonates with them. Yeah. And maybe it's not one image. Maybe it's, maybe it's a multitude. Maybe, I mean, I, I, I kind of, in my view, think that a polytheistic view is very healthy because you don't just get one God image. You have the God, uh, goddess, uh, Kali, who who you were showing earlier who represents a, a version of the, fe- the, the dark feminine, but then you also have uh, a trickster God uh-huh. or a, a King God. And you have, yeah. you, have, you have all these different images that you can call in at different times and like really resonate and really get in touch with that, that source that we can't describe. And um, yeah, right, let me, let me jump in here, Mike, <laughs> as you uh, search for the words. David, I'm looking to you and I'm speaking to listeners. At some point, we're going to convince Mike to read the book American Gods by Neil Gaiman, right? (laughs) At some point when he goes on these amazing tirades about uh, symbolism and how we're deconstructing our symbols and now we have our new gods in technology and progress and science and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. God damn it, Mike, just read American Gods. Like, <laughs> let's do this. Let's do it together. I'll read it too. Let's do it. It's been said before. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. No, well, I, it's I, been said that you should read that book, but you're hitting on like the, 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 the premise of that book, which is, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing it, dude. Like you're, you're doing it. That's huh. good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Because, and well, just one more point with that is, um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to find the words. Never mind. Continue. <laughs> I tried to give you, Hey, I tried to give you like a little bumper there. <laughs> well, if, if, if I could just, I move, I'll move my story into now. Like, like I said, I deconstructed the Christianity, the evangelical Christianity, Christianity. Um, and then I can remember when, I mean, I remember the end of praying when I, when I started to like, what am I doing? Like who, who was like, I just didn't, it stopped feeling like I was talking, like there was anything I was talking to other than myself. And I kind of just like my, my people I was working with would, would, would just keep, I keep saying stuff like you're, you're right where you need to be. You're right where you need to be. You're, you're not anywhere, you, you know, you might be confused or lost. And I, I had some, I was in therapy too uh, at that point in time, but, and so I, I kind of landed and felt pretty confident where I was at. And so moving forward a little bit and, uh, to my first psychedelic experience, um, it was amazing. Um, oh, what was it? It was LSD at yeah. a fish show in Atlanta. Oh shit, dude. So with several thousand other people, you know, and it was, uh, just amazing. Like, and I remember several things. I could show you the painting I painted after that one. 
Yeah. It's a little bit bigger. Whoa. Holy shit, dude. Pull, pull, pull a little bit closer so I can see some of that detail. Oh, wow. So it's the explosion of everything and then the void down here. <laughs> That's teetering between the two. Yeah, we got to be able to post these, man. People need to see this. But it's not just wow and yeah, because <laughs> they're, they're, it's cool as shit. They are cool as shit. So what, what I realized is that that was the moment I realized I was an atheist. Hmm. Like absolutely an atheist. And it was not so much that I was an atheist in, in terms of like, I knew that all that story of Mormon God or Christian God on top of Mormon God or whatever was just a story I was telling myself. And it was just, I was trying to convince myself of something. It was just my own thing. And interestingly enough, my partner at the same time had this experience where she was like, wow, I think I know what God is. Oh shit. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like went right past each other (laughs) on on the whole, on the whole sort of experience. And, you know, I used to have one thing we're really good for each other. And she, she's like, um, she's really helped me understand. I I used to have this whole, the whole notion. You have to be aligned. You know, that's a very Christian thing. You have to be aligned with your partner or whatever, your spouse or whatever. And Mormonism, obviously you have to be members, you know, all in the church and all that, or else it all falls apart. But she's really helped me realize that we're on different paths. We just happen to be together right now. Right. And, and, and it really works really well right now. And, and, but she has her own experience. She's always, whenever we, she's quick to help me remember that whatever is happening with me isn't happening with everybody else. Right. Yeah. So um, that theme, that theme keeps coming up, man. We got to stop projecting what we're experiencing in our trips onto what other people are experiencing that they're having their own fucking trip. They're having their own life. They got their whole story. They're the, they're the protagonist in their own goddamn world. Yeah. So it's been kind of like a, I think of it as a tool, you know, I don't necessarily think of it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who have their opinions about how to do psychedelics. Right. And I certainly have some opinions too, but I I think, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with recreational, but for me, particularly the LSD, I think um, it's such a profound thing that the opportunity to go to that space is a sacred thing. And so for me, it's an opportunity to, to manifest my own mind and see what's going on. And, and more recently, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, I took a, not the only, the only time I've done it by myself, well, where I'm the only one doing it. Um, I took a trip and um, saw my, met my inner child. Right. And, hmm. and really confronted this this inner child and my inner child was smoking a cigarette (laughs) and i realized this addiction that i have this other addiction that i have is something that i need to understand and i came to understand it as my ex-mormon identity that i was holding on to this addiction of cigarettes that's my ex-mormon that's my that's my ex-mormon ego and oh. so I, over the course of, well, the pandemic kind of helped, but the, really the, the impetus several months after that, after the pandemic started, my, my partner, she, she had a great job. Well, 
she made a lot of money, but her, the, you know, her, she lost her job because of the pandemic. And so she's gone through this whole reinventing thing for her own self. She's reinvented herself, um, doing a completely different thing, but got out of corporate America, but we need to clamp down. And I'm like, we can't afford a pack a day cigarette habit. <laughs> mm. And so that was my immediate thing, but also realizing that the addiction, like the psychological addiction to cigarettes, not the physical addiction, but the psychological addiction was my, me identifying as I'm an ex-Mormon. This is me. I'm not, a, you know, I'm everything, not a Mormon, you know, I'm 180 degrees. I'm all balls to the wall, the other direction. And I don't drink anymore, but I'm sure not a Mormon. Mm. And so I think my, identification as an ex-Mormon was keeping me from having a healthy, well, keeping me in that addiction. So I, with my help of my partner, she was very helpful in helping me develop a, a game plan of, you know, patching it up, using the patch and gum to get off of it. And I haven't smoked a cigarette in over a year and a half. So Gosh, that's that's so interesting. It's like the the cigarette in your own self-view or your self-image is like that it's the flag you're flying or the, or the totem to, uh, you know, back to Mike talking about, you know, uh, the way we deconstruct our symbols. I mean, there, there's something symbolic about that cigarette for you, right? It, it represents yeah. a key piece, yeah. you know, in your symphony of selves or in, in, yeah. in that uh, contradiction that we, that we exist within one of your contradictions, one of yourselves was flying that cigarette flag to, mm-hmm. to let, outwardly let the world know I am not a Mormon. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 yeah. it's part of your identity. Like I want the world to make sure they know I am not a Mormon. And here's the yeah. proof. I got this little cigarette in my, between my fingers. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. God, that's so cool. So, but you asked the question earlier about whether psychedelics were important for alcohol quitting. And the answer to that is no, because I've quit beforehand, but for cigarettes, it's absolutely key. Hmm addiction, right? I mean, addiction is simply that feeling that something is missing and the only thing that can uh, fill that need is the, is the thing, is the thing you're addicted to. That comes in all forms, but it's that incessant feeling that there's just something missing. David, I think you and I talked about this a little bit. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 Addiction is like, people don't really understand addiction. You know, you can be addicted to anything people will say and, and, and any little thing that a person likes, Oh, they're addicted to it. No addiction is a need of that, that exists somewhere inside of you. That, that is even subconscious. It tells you something's I, I'm missing something. I'm not complete. I'm not whole until you feel the, the need that that addiction fills, you know? So, so you're chasing that. So you're chasing a high, right? You're constantly you're chasing to, or something. Or you're trying yeah. to maintain the same level of high. Yeah. And that's why, that's why you can say, well, psychedelics, you can't really do that. I mean, you can do it a little bit with like, I know, you know, mushrooms Micro. a little bit, but yeah. it's just the, 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 the whole timing of the thing is off. If it was always yeah. a high, maybe you could. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, always maybe. a high, man. Good thing, yeah. The good thing about psychedelics is that they they convince you to like take a break. It's like, okay, I got to take a break from this shit. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I'm glad we're talking about this. This is the first time we really talked about addiction in this way on the podcast, and I think it's very important. And Doug, you were talking about the symphony of selves, and David, you talked about the image that psychedelics gave you of yeah. the part of yourself that was seeking that uh, expression through smoking. Yeah. So kind of like it showed you what part of you wants to be expressed. Yeah. And when you knew that, it's like, okay, 
I know what part of me wants to be expressed. I can find that. And you became conscious of that. And you now can say, I can find that expression in, in other ways. And that little boy holding the cigarette goes, okay, yeah, fine. I'll put down the cigarette. Now that you're going to let me out and show in and express me in different ways, you got to the root of it. And yeah. the help of that. Yeah. I also think that there's, there's an aspect of it that it becomes a little bit less salient. Like once it's exposed as like, oh, I have this ego as an ex-Mormon, it's like, well, how important is that to me? Yeah. Right. And so, because I, I, I think ex-Mormons, you're still living in the duality of the church. The church is still salient in your life. Right. And what I found is that uh, the more, the further I move from it and the more I move along this path, the less I identify as an ex-Mormon, like that ex-Mormon, I'm an ex-Mormon. Right. And so it's less salient. Now it still comes up. It still absolutely comes up, but it's not, it's something that I'm conscious of and I can be aware of that. I can see it as it comes up and I don't have to be a slave to it, to that identity. I can allow it to operate sometimes because sometimes I need to operate as an ex-Mormon in the world, but I don't have to be blind to it. Right. Yeah. And I can let it go and not have it dominate and drive the, well, it's almost like it's a, the crazy train in my head for one thing. I mean, this is just me throwing this out here, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. And so you guys correct me if I am, but it then becomes a part of your story. I mean, it's always a part of your story, but then you recognize that, no, this is a part of my story, but it's not a part of my identity. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or, 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 or your identity expands to be something yeah. bigger. Yeah. Ooh, I like that better. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love your podcast is because you, ex, you, you explore all these different things, right? And you give all these, you're giving all these different options to people and it's just expanding. It's just, and it's not, it's not people stuck and complaining about how, the, what the church did, you know? Yeah. I think, I, I think that's the grieving problem. I, I think that's part of, um, yeah, I, you both, you both said it really well. Like we, we will always um, have Mormonism in our, sure. in our past, in our, in our lives. Right. Yeah. That, that, that always will exist because it, it, it happened. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not currently tripping. So I, I, I can make sense of that phrase. Like it, it yeah. did happen, you know, yeah. the, the same way that someone who was, you know, perhaps comes from a family of rabbis and was expected to uh, become a rabbi and then, and then left and, and then left Judaism or, or at least, uh, decided not to be a rabbi or go into the, uh, you know, priesthood or anything like that. I mean, it's still part of our story. It's still part of like how we view the world. It just becomes less and less um, magnified. You know, it's, it's, it's not the key. It's not the key aspect of uh, my personality. It's not the key aspect of who I am as I present myself to people right now. Me having a history in Mormonism just doesn't, matter to me the way that it used to, you know, it used to matter. It used to be a big part of my identity. Being Mormon was part of my identity. Being ex-Mormon was part of my identity. And now, I mean, it's like, well, I I also have brown hair, but I don't have a whole fucking podcast about it. Right. (laughs) Well, I would even say like the amount that Mormonism was our identity. I I was like a hundred percent of Mormon or 95. So like when I transferred to ex-Mormon, I became 95% an ex-Mormon, you know? Um, so yeah, David, I love how you corrected that and said, 
I'm because it is part of my identity. My I just feel like I've ex, my identity identity has expanded. expanded. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> the same thing. The same thing for me is true about alcohol uh, alcoholism and being an alcoholic. I don't particularly identify as an alcoholic. I don't drink, and I'm not going to go there. Right. I'm not going to tempt fate or anything. But it's not part. Of, some people live in that identity of being an alcoholic. Uh, an, uh, an alcoholic in recovery and and maybe they need to do that to stay sober right and that's fine but for me it's like i've moved beyond it and so i had this experience a couple of years ago right before the pandemic for whatever reason i was out at a show um and here in here in downtown and i was by myself and i was at the show and i went through the the opener and then the first set and in the middle of the second set i'm sitting there it's a small club and i'm realizing holy shit like i could get a drink and nobody would know it was that whole thing come back. I'm oh like, yeah. Wow. I don't really want to do that. Mm. And it was real. The realization that this thing that was a dominant sort of like monster in my life for so long was gone. Mm. Wow. Right. Wait, and, and so you were, you were playing his shows. Are you saying? No, I was at a, I was at a show listening to oh. live music. Okay. So I was, but I was by myself. I wasn't with anybody because my partner, she doesn't drink either. So we have, a you know, we, it's like a buddy system in that yeah, situation. Kind of, yeah. When you're but when you're by yourself, kind of the point where we're beyond it. So yeah, yeah. So I've kind of got to the point where the whole idea of like pan, like you said, pantheism or uh, polytheism, and uh, really starts to make has really started to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, mainly from like uh, kind of uh, from a yoga space, right? Like. Again, like I like I mentioned before, like I think we we need we in the West need to be wary of cultural appropriation of of Hinduism. That said, I think thinking about having these different, like you were saying, Mike, like different ways of thinking about aspects of the divine in us, whether that be the creative element, right, or the sustaining element. And I'm just going off the <laughs> Brahma, Vishnu, uh, Shiva, um, Hindu, tri- tri- uh, tri- uh, what do you call it? Trinity um, has started to make has started to make sense. I mentioned earlier, like I had that, had that trip where I'm like realized I was an atheist, and since then I moved beyond that to kind of have this more of an expansive view where. Like people like Ramdas, when Ramdas talks, would talk about he's passed on, right? But when he would talk about God, like sometimes what he talks about absolutely makes sense. And then I can go back and read the Bible and see if some of the things that Jesus said, and it absolutely makes sense. And so I've kind of have been on this quest to rediscover some things, particularly as it pertains to like where my path has gone within a sort of a yoga space and. I don't know. I don't necessarily think of myself as a yogi or anything, but I I do go to yoga every like I do the asana like four times a week, and I do the kundalini stuff. Well, at our studio, anytime there's an offering, and, and I've recently been encouraged <laughs> to to go in to start to expand myself and lead classes and whatnot. I took a three hundred hour meditation training going back to qualifications from the last episode talking about how you <laughs> show you're qualified to do stuff right so I, I i do have that like and i have the trust and the the well you know the blessing of the teachers at this at the studio so i'm gonna exp- and i've thought about doing that for a while but it's like 
I don't think of myself that way, but at the same time, like everybody thinks of me as the Kundalini, per, you know, like the person who's always at Kundalini. So, um, I, and I'm going to offer a Kundalini virtual Kundalini experience for, um, the mighty networks. Yes. Mormons on mushrooms and at sometime in February, probably. Yeah. So let's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're bringing us that. Cause I think you're going to have a lot of people interested in, in this, in this Kundalini yoga uh, offering. What have you decided when that will kind of get started or is it just kind of a, keep your eye on the, keep your eye on the, the mighty network. It's going to be scheduled. I talked to the, some of the people who run and just today, just to kind of get some dates down and probably I'm looking at middle of February uh, as, as a, you know, the first, the first offering of maybe, which may be more. And I also, as we get to move into more um, in-person events, I want to also bring that to that space, those in-person events too, because I think there's a lot of interest in Kundalini. I know that every time I bring it up, somebody has something to say about it. So can we, can we talk about Kundalini for a minute? Unless you're in California, unless you're in, in, in like, I don't know if, I think there's a Kundalini studio in the per, or somebody that does it in Utah. But Anywhere? Know. Sorry. What was that? In Utah. In Utah. I think Utah. some places. Oh, but- oh, I think there are a couple. I mean, I think I've seen a few in Utah. Um, but can we talk about Kundalini for a little bit? Sure. sure yeah. I'd love to. So we haven't like talked about it much in the podcast. I mean, I brought up, um, yeah. When we say Kundalini yoga, a lot of people will be like, oh, what? What is it? What is what? When we say Kundalini yoga, what are we talking about? Okay. So first of all, let's, okay. So, so if you were to go to India 60 years ago mm-hmm. and ask what Kundalini yoga or looked for that, you wouldn't find it. It wasn't a thing. Right. Um, a person, a, a, a guru figure named Yogi Bhajan, um, came to America in the late sixties and as an alternative, kind of introduced this thing as an alternative to um, he really preached as an alternative to drugs, to, to the counterculture. Basically it's pranayama and some uh, asana or body movement stuff in the form of these things called kriyas, which kriya just means action. So it's action, and then he would do prescriptive. He, he made up all these kriyas that were prescriptive for different things, like kriya to have better digestion, and kriya to clear the mind, or kriya for the morning, or all these just lots and lots of different options. It, so it, that's in, mainly in California. So and and it was kind of combined with a Sikh tradition. The so kundalini traditional kundalini practitioners they were all white. And they have like white turbans and um, yeah, that's, that's part of it. When I first got interested in it, I was kind of weirded out by it because of the white. Cause it was very reminiscent of temple stuff. Temple, temple clothes. Yeah. And so I was like, that kind of creeped me out a little bit, but what's hap- what happened is Yogi Bhajan died about 20 or so years or so ago. And since that time, there has been expose a few exposés, um, abuse <laughs> and all these other things like uh, in that community. And so what's happened in the last decade is that community has fractured and the older school, the older kind of people that kind of underlings that were right under Yogi Bhajan, they, the ones that kind of kept the secrets, they've kind of, um, well, certain people have gone off on their own 
because there's no central authority. The central authority is called KRI or Kundalini Research Institute. It still exists and they're still kind of trying to hold it together, but it's fractured into all these different people doing different things. Some are some devoted to some teachers and some devoted to other teachers and this and that and the other. So my te- my yoga, the person who runs our studio, him and his wife, he is trained in that whole Kundalini lineage and his wife works uh, is trained in a Buddhist meditation lineage um, with Pema Chodron, um, who was a student of Trung- Trungpa Rinpoche, who has his own problematic history of abuse in the 1970s and 1980s. So all these different yoga schools also all have those. We need to be clear about this stuff. Sweeping stuff under the rug or pretending it doesn't exist is only going to mean the whole thing slams shut again, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important, I think, to realize that Kundalini Yoga as a system has a problematic history. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's all bad, right? It just means that there's, in these altered states, there's potential for abuse. So my teach, my, my instructor, I don't really think of him as a teacher because he's more like a peer to me because we're kind of the same age and we both did high school sports and we we're athletes and stuff. So it's kind of like weird to call him my teacher because he doesn't think of himself as a teacher. Anyway, he ditched the whole white stuff. Yeah. And he, he, he follows, he, like he brings in Alan Watts and he brings in Ram Dass and he brings in all this other stuff to kind of make it more of a, it's more of an experience yeah. than a traditional, it's rigid mm. sort of like thing. But basically it's a lot of mantra. It's a lot of breath work. It's some actions. Like we have, we did one the other day, my shoulders were hurting. It's just like bear, we call it bear claws. And it's just, you just do this. Yeah, man. You breathe in, in, out, in and out. I did that for 30 days straight, man. And for those who like, uh, exactly. I can't see. You make these bear claw hands, like bear yeah. claw hands. And then you just have them out to the side and you just bring them up, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And you just do that until like your shoulders yeah. start to burn. And You do it for and, a few minutes. Yeah. Um, it's intense. And so I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to, that's the type of thing I'm going to, I'm going to start teaching at the studio probably once a week, but I'm also going to bring it to the Mormons on mushrooms, uh, Mighty Networks community as a probably a Wednesday night offering or something once a month or so. And I'm so excited for that because I mean, I mean, I've talked a little bit about my Kundalini yoga journey on the podcast, but it was instrumental to starting the podcast. Yeah. You know, I had done that Kundalini yoga sadhana. Did I say 30 days? It was 40 days, 40 days, right? Yeah. Who the fuck knows? It was 40 days. It was 40. I know. I know. It was fucking 40 days. Yeah. And I did it twice. Yeah. Um, and 40 days, like four 30 in the morning. And, and now I, I mean, I did it this morning. I, I do it probably, probably four or five times a week. I wake up around in the, like early in the morning and I do, uh, usually like an hour of the Kriyas. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's got a little bit of yoga, you know, you do some cat cows, you warm up the spine, Yeah. you do some Sufi grinds, they call it where you're kind of rotating your spine and, and then you get into some breath work and um, similar to you, the person who, well, the person who I found it through, um, she doesn't, didn't wear all white. I mean, it was probably some of the fractured thing or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. And um, cause I had no idea about that until I was telling my therapist about it. She's like, Oh, wow. She was, she was fascinated by me wanting to do Kundalini yoga and Mormonism. Cause she was like, well, they wear all white. And so, you yeah. know, she was kind of, I'm like, 
oh, do they? I just thought it was kind of like a different type of yoga. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the thing I love about it is that, and maybe it's just part of having a morning practice. Um, but I also think it's the the magic of the breath work and 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 the kriyas that they have. Um, I find it, I just feel my own energy at the end of it. So it's like you, you do the Kriya and then usually there's a pause and you kind of like, okay, what you just feel inside your body and you notice what, what's changed. Yeah. And by the end, it's like, oh, this is what my energy feels like. And so if I do this in the morning, I felt my energy before I go and mix energy with other people. That's cool. And so, yeah. And so as you know, someone like as empathic beings, yeah. as we are as humans, it's easier for me then to be like, Oh, I'm, this isn't mine because I've had that somatic feeling in the morning of the, Oh, this is what it feels like to be me. Yeah. This is what Mike feels like. And so, Oh, now, okay. Now I'm mixing energies and I love it. I mean, it's, it's changed my life. That's cool. I would say, you know, I, I don't know if Kundalini itself has changed my life, but certainly is an important practice for me. Um, it, 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 like it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. In fact, my, my partner, she hates it. She hates it. Oh, yeah. She doesn't like it. Um, she would much rather sit in a traditional Buddhist meditation for however long. I can't do that. Like, you know, whereas this stuff, consistently shut off the chatter in my head and let me enter a meditative space where there's big spaces between thoughts. And I've had some just pretty amazing experiences. The whole idea of Kundalini, the word means that it's this serpent energy, this feminine serpent energy that naturally exists at the base of the spine. And according, I mean, I mean, again, it's not a, it wasn't a system per se. It was more of a philosophy of how energy works in the body that people developed over the last, say, I think probably if you look in yoga history, probably five or 600 years, it's a little bit more recent when the whole chakra system kind of evolved. It's related to the whole chakra system, but it's like how energy moves through the body and how these yogis who didn't necessarily have a good scientific understanding, like they didn't know anatomy and physiology, but they were just ex describing experientially what it felt like to have energy move through the bodies in these different shapes. So it just, it's described as the serpent energy that moves up the spine and then out the crown of your head when you hit enlightenment, right? Mm -hmm. After you've done a Kriya for, you know, whatever crazy yoga thing that they were into. Um, but I've had some pretty experience, pretty interesting experiences with like, like, I don't necessarily think the chakras are real chakras are real. Right. But I certainly have felt like, especially throat chakra stuff, heart chakra stuff, the uh, uh, muladhar, the, the base chakra stuff, grounding sort of stuff. Some pretty interesting physical experiences during some kundalini practices. Not all the chakras, but I've still yet to have a third eye opening. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta just say to the two of you, I, I really love where this conversation is. Um, you know, David, you've talked a couple of times about being careful with cultural appropriation. Um, and then you're talking about how the, 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 the Kundalini yoga practice gives you an opportunity to shut out the, the constant chatter in your head. And it gives you this opportunity to go into a quiet meditative space within your own, within your own being. Mm -hmm. Like you talked about, uh, you're able to feel 
and be aware of and be in your energy before you start mixing and matching throughout the day with other people and bumping into their energies and stuff like that. And you, you both have called it a practice rather than a worship or a, uh, or, or a system of belief, you know, whatever. The, the reason I'm tying all this stuff together is because corruption will exist yeah. where humankind uh, pokes their fingers. Where, where anywhere we can get our hooks into something, there will be corruption, there will be gatekeeping, there will be schools and certifications, and this exists in I mean, AA and Catholicism and the, the, you know, the Wharton School of Business and Wall Street and, and politics, and it exists everywhere. And really what it comes down to is the, what the two of you are talking is just finding a way, finding a practice that allows for you to feel comfortable in your own body, comfortable in your own space, standing in your own power, not, not being, uh, you know, given direction of how you should believe and how you should worship and how you should think and how you should operate from some outside entity. Because when it all comes down to it, you know, we can talk about cultural appropriation and, and borders and all that kind of stuff. At some point in a fairly universally recent past, some people were just sitting there breathing and stretching and finding water and food and shared the parts that were, that were good and corrupted the parts that were bad. I mean, so all this shit we talk about, it, it's right in line with the things that we've been really kind of, you know, the, the, the things that we've really trying to been banging lately. It is not up to someone else. You, you already contain yeah. a multitudes, right? Yeah. You, you, you already are vast. Your identity is not one thing. Our identity is not Mormonism or alcoholic or any of the other things that we've talked about today. Our identity is solely our unique being. And all we're trying to talk about is giving people options for finding their unique being and being comfortable and okay in that space and feeling safe and feeling like they can stand in that power. Sorry about the Ted talk, but I've been no, I, burst for a while. I have a, I have a follow-up point that I want to make. And I've thought about, this is something I did want to say on here. Um, and it relates to our more, our mighty network share circles. They're really super powerful as you oh. both know. And one of the things that somebody said something, this is not going to be specific, but they were talking about the medicine, right? And they were just saying, it's amazing. They're like, it's amazing. The medicine, mushrooms or whatever it was like, it's amazing. And in my head, what I felt in that moment, and I didn't say anything in the moment, but I felt it. And I've kind of expressed it here and there to try to get it out. Um, Psychedelics means mind manifesting. It shows us what's there. And I like what Jake said. If, if, the, if, if, if it's, it's either going to show the love or what's in the way of the love, it's going to show what's there. And so when people are talking about their trip reports in those share circles, and they're just talking about how amazing and beautiful and wonderful, what I see, it's not the medicine that's, I mean, it is amazing and beautiful and wonderful, but it's, no, you're amazing and beautiful yes. and wonderful person who's telling me your trip report. 
you're, we're amazing and beautiful and wonderful. It's just showing us what's there. Right. Yes. We, we are our own medicine. Yeah. And God, I feel like we've said that 352 times, but like, that's, that's all, that's, that's the whole point of this whole goddamn thing. The mighty networks, the Instagram, the podcast itself. It's just stand up for yourself and don't, don't let your inner voice that tells, that says all these nasty things to you. Don't, how dare you talk about someone I love that much that way and just have just stand up for yourself. Everybody, please just give yourself a goddamn break and stand up for yourself. Sorry. I'm, and I'm not even drunk right now. I'm just, I'm just feeling this <laughs> vibe right now. Love it. The, the, um, I don't know. I see myself in that whole community as, you know, it's my own story. I tell myself, but like I'm the person, cause I think that the, the, the need for this is only going to get bigger. Cause if you think about what's, what was happening in the church, right? Like in the last couple of years, right? Like people are leaving and they need community. They need place to land. And some people are going to land in our community. So we need to be there for them. And I want to be the person that says, look, you can find healing now. You don't have to go 20 years and have an al- a 15 year old alcohol problem, go through two divorces, move states to, in order to figure out how to love yourself. You can happen a lot sooner, right? For people. And we can hold space for people because I didn't have a community 25 years ago when I left the church. And my college buddies, they were community enough, but I didn't know how to heal. I didn't know how to self-soothe. I didn't have any tools. And and David, you 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 now can take the message and megaphone it, amplify it, that your one sponsor who's a free floating theist told you is you just find what find what works for you. And people can help you. There's, there's certainly friends and loved ones and strangers on the internet along the way that can help you find that, but you don't need to, you can be a, what's that? You don't need to be alone. You don't have to be alone. You can find a fucking Catholic Buddhist yogi woman who likes hunting on the safari. You can find that person there. She's out there. I bet, I bet, they, I bet she is, you know, we, we, we are all a big, big juicy contradiction. So let's embrace one another's craziness and be there when we can and let people know boundaries. I can't be there for you when we can't. And let's, let's, let's find it. Let's help each other heal. And, but starts with healing our self suit, like healing. And one of the cool things about a lot of things we've been saying, and it's one of the wonders of the age we live in now is that yeah. if there's whatever, whatever thing you want, it's there, you can find it. I mean, thank you, internet. You're right. Um, but also the way we're tearing down these power structures and we even talk about the, even the power structure of the psychedelic community, right? Like wanting to gatekeep. Yeah. Fuck no. Like you're right. Like this, like, you were saying the right way to do medicine. Like if you're doing it safe, it's right. Right. Be yeah. safe about it. Be smart about it. If you're that way, then it's, it's, a, you're doing it the right way. If you're doing it for fun, if you're doing it for healing, if you're doing it for whatever, just be, just be fucking safe about it. Right. And then find safe things. Be safe. You're talking about like the Kundalini yoga thing and like 
or when we were talking about how that community and several psychedelic communities are fragmenting now because they set up this power structure and wanted to control it. And it fragmented into all these different pieces. And out of that's birthing new life. Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about with Kundalini yoga, right? This yep. Kundalini yoga center. I don't even know what they're called. Wanting to control whatever, like the way you breathe. No, like <laughs> yeah. let's like let that spread. And like, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it every morning. I don't want to wear white and a turban when I do it. Okay. And I love it. And I hope that like, even with the community we're building, if we ever get too rigid, I hope we blow up and spread all of our seeds all across the little valley, you know, <laughs> and new life will come from that. But like, I'm also hoping that we can just not be rigid and be like, I know. come, yeah, yeah, come be you. And you know what, if you want to be part of our community and Jesus re- resonates with you, if you still like identify with the, uh, the uh, God image of uh, Nephi, maybe go at it. Right. Like as long as you're not hurting anyone and, you're being a good citizen of the community. I don't know what I'm saying now. But yeah. I think you're on. I think you're on to something there, Mike. It's like be, be kind, be cool, be useful, and that's it. They just the rest of it. You don't need to fucking do anything. Just do those yeah. things. <laughs> and you don't need to be whole, useful. I, I added that one. Be kind, be cool, and the whole expand. Let's keep expanding. You know, yeah. like we don't have to like tear people's things down, and let's uh, let's create our own myths. I guess. You know what I mean? Yes. For ourselves. Yeah. Hey guys, yeah. I, I could, I gotta, I gotta go do bedtime. It's it, okay. I'm, I'm at the point. I, where well, I've me got, too. Um, yeah. I just want to, I just want to plug my networks. If there's people out there that want to be part of this community. I mean, the Facebook group's great too, but my networks is tighter and we're having fun there. So we have a lot more fun there. We do have more fun there. I have a Mighty Networks account. I don't have like a Facebook or anything like that. So yeah. that's the only place I can interact. So let's do you it. You want to talk to Doug personally, come to Mighty yeah, Networks. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm just trying to say that's Mighty Networks is a lot more fun for me because I don't have any other things. <laughs> and we've got some cool things. we got David doing his Kundalini. Um, we're going to do like a, a DJ meditation thing coming up. We've got our share circles and it's Dream just going to get more and more fun. So yeah. yeah. Dream work from our own, our own Mike. I've done it once. I, I want to do a dream like group where we just come and discuss dreams and shoot the shit where it's not like me giving a presentation on dream work, but it's like, no, come and we'll share our dreams and what came up for us. Um, I'm just trying to find the time. Maybe I need to find some people to like do it and I can come in. Yeah. I, I'm just worried about the time factor, but I just, yes, I just, I just remember something I want to bring up. I wanted to bring up in all in this, in this little thing, but I, I will wait till. Well, oh uh, shit. You got a teaser too. Yeah. You and Mike both rolling. Dude, that, roll like, I have a dream. I have a dream. I want you to interpret, but you know, we're out of time. So <laughs> yeah, I, I got to hop off. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Let's just do it another time. Yep. Another time. Or, or during a share circle or maybe in person yeah. sometime. Hell yeah. yeah. Send, me your, send me your dream and we'll, we'll chat about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. David, thank you so Thanks much. David, you're well, awesome, man. You honestly like, you, you, yeah, you glow, man. You got like, uh, doesn't he look kind of like uh, God the Father a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> man, if, if I had a David God image for God the Father, I mean, I might, I would still be Mormon. Oh, I need to shave the beard off, man. Oh, you got to keep that beard. Honestly, even, David, I wish having Heavenly Father say that Joseph in the gro- in the in the growth wearing that tie dyed Grateful Dead T shirt. Grateful Dead T shirt. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, All right, guys. I got to go put my kids back. Right. Still be warm. Love you guys. Take care, you guys. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it if you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. Mm-hmm.